welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Oh, how I've eagerly, eagerly awaited. That's, you know, kind of loud, but that's all right. <clears throat> to see you this evening. Uh, and to share uh, from his word. You can go ahead and open, uh, open your word to Ephesians, of course, which is where we're going to be. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> and I want to start by uh, giving an example. Um, on May the 2nd, 2011, Al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden was killed in a raid by 25 U.S. Navy SEALs. The entire operation, including the landing of two Black Hawk stealth helicopters, the breach of the compound, locating and killing bin Laden in the second floor bedroom, securing of computer hard drives, and extrication of the body took less than 40 minutes. But the planning, of course, for that raid began months and even years earlier. See, for nearly a decade, U.S. military and intelligence forces had pursued bin Laden, who of course had been named by many as enemy number one. The name of bin Laden's trusted courier was identified in 2007, but it took another two years to learn the general region where that man operated. And it wasn't until an inter phone intercept in 2010 that they had a breakthrough. Following that, there was eight months of planning and intelligence work that included construction of a CIA safe house near the compound, as well as a mock-up of the compound where a U.S. Navy SEAL team practiced the raid. And I just want to read you part of an interview with one of those uh, SEAL Team 6 members. Uh, the interviewer asked, in terms of inside the house, how much did you know? And he said, zero. But again, it goes back to years of experience. I mean, we've done this a million times. How many times do you did you assault the mock-up? He asked, and he said, probably a hundred times. A hundred times. And if any of you have read up on this event, you know that it didn't go off as planned. One of the helicopters lost lift as it was hovering over the compound. Apparently, it was caught in its own turbulence, uh, its own downdraft, which was magnified because of the compound walls. But during rehearsals, the pilot told the crew if he had to crash, he would land it in the courtyard, which is exactly what he did. So again, picking up with that interview, he asked, so once you're in the compound, you want to clear the building so the rest of the team can do what they need to do in here? And he says, exactly. I think what SEALs are good at is what I consider pickup basketball. We all know how to play the game. And there's a saying, can you shoot, move, and communicate? So we all know how to shoot. We all know how to move efficiently and tactically and we can communicate clearly. So when something goes sideways, we're able to play pickup basketball and just kind of read off of each other. Okay, so why do I tell you all this? Because we've come into this section of Ephesians where it's about the fight. 
It's about the fight. This is how we live when our theology becomes reality. I, I hope you know, you're, you and I, we're supposed to live what we believe. It's, it's really supposed to, to come down uh, where we're standing and mean something, right? And so that's what we're going to get to this evening. You and I have a very real, very powerful enemy who is deadly and evasive. I chose a physical example, of course, because sometimes it's easier to see the principles um, in, the, in the physical realm that apply to the spiritual realm. And I, I just want you to think about that. I'm going to list off a couple of those because both, in, when you're fighting an enemy, both require equipment. Yeah? You, you need a strategy. Both require intelligence and research, time, teamwork. Both of them require practice. Psalm 18 says, the Lord, quote, trains my hands for war. He clothes me with strength for the battle. So you and I are going to read about the armor of God tonight. Uh, and one of the first things we learn about God is that he equips us for warfare. Yes, there are times when he will fight your battle for you. But there are other times he expects you to put that armor on, you go out there, you stand, and you fight. What that tells us about ourselves is that we cannot win on our own. But with God, we have everything we need. I want you to listen carefully to this because um, you and I will never overcome an enemy we do not fight. It'll never happen. So, welcome to boot camp. All right? Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, I'm just going to read from 10 down to verse 20. Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to, complain the, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul begins by establishing the basis for our victory. Did you see it? It's God's power. 
Be strong in the Lord. Um, and, and a literal translation of that Greek is um, be empowered. And I like that one better um, because um, be strong, if someone just says to you, be strong, you're like, um, yeah, I would like to be strong. Okay, maybe I should look at a woman. Uh, y'all are strong. I'm not meaning that. You know, but we, sometimes it makes us think we have to develop it on our own. But be empowered, that word, um, lots of different tenses here. It is in the present tense, which means it is for right now and now. Be empowered now, where you are right now. It's also passive, which is so interesting because the passive tense it implies whether or not the, uh, the it, get this right, whether um, it's the subject is the performer of the action or the recipient of it. Does that make sense? Whether we perform it or whether we receive it, and guess what? It's passive. We receive it. Okay? So, so um, and the third thing is it is imperative, and that is that it's a command, right? Be empowered. It's not optional. We're going to fight the enemy. We have to be empowered, and just don't miss that qualifier in the Lord. And I really like how one commentator put it. He said, make God's power your own. Make God's power your own. Uh, and if Paul's listeners kind of breezed past that too quickly, you know, these were just read aloud, right? Then he says it again, and in the strength of his might. Which begs the question, what does being empowered by the Lord, what does that look like? And, and I really hope you get a chance to discuss that uh, in your small groups. All I want to say about verse 11, I want you to look at that carefully, is to point out a very critical word, schemes. He talks about the schemes uh, of the enemy. And I want to spell that out for you. You can do it mentally or you just write it on your, if you're taking notes, because the application becomes clear if you see. This is, this is the original word. M E. T-H-O-D-E-I-A. Anybody? There's a method. Does that anger or surprise you? That you and I have an enemy who, and I'm going to just read that definition of that, to work by method, the following or pursuing of an orderly and technical procedure in the handling of a subject. So, I just want to ask you, do you ever feel targeted in your sin? You are. I am. And, and when are you and I going to develop and exercise a strategy to combat that kind of personal attack? Again, we're never going to overcome an enemy. We do not fight. So verse 12 uh, is always very welcome. This is such a necessary verse uh, for the times when I attempt to assign a human face and name to my enemy. We need to read it again. Uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yes, there are physical enemies, absolutely. There were there and there are now. But Paul looks beyond the ranks of his earthly foes to the power of Satan by whom they are animated and directed. So the application to me is clear. Remember who the real enemy is. Remember who the real one is. 
uh, and I cannot uh, help but stop. If, if you're not familiar with the writings of C.S. Lewis, uh, screw tape letters, just jot that one down. I think this is, Stephanie, can we make this required reading? Um, I, you know, you, you can just do your homework in the summer. Uh, reading, yeah, I'm going too far. Okay, uh, I promise uh, it, you need this. I need this uh, reminder of the method uh, that your enemy uses with you. Uh, and we need not to be ignorant of those. Verse 13, uh, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor. And I want to stop there before we even go on because I feel like that might be the cause of much of the failure in our battles. Specifically, our failure to put on the entire armor. Okay? Uh, I want you to think back to the physical example, right, of the Navy SEAL team setting out the strategy, building the safe up, uh, the, the safe house and the mock-up of the compound, and repeatedly practicing that ambush. Okay. So there's that example, and I want you to contrast this um, with uh, our typical approach to each day. And just see if this isn't true, and if it doesn't apply to you, it doesn't apply to you. But perhaps for some it will. Um, first of all, we count the least number of minutes it will take for us to get out of bed and to work and into class. We may or may not shower. Oh, come on. I'm the only one? Okay, never mind. Okay. I mean, I did today, so don't. Okay. I really did. Uh, sometimes we may or may not shower. I don't know about other kind of hygiene things. Uh, we may have to uh, cram uh, for a, a forgotten exam, printing out a last-minute assignment, uh, running out the door, not pausing for a second to consider how vulnerable we are to known and unknown enemies. I just wonder, how would your day be different if you prepared to face the challenges that it holds? What, what if we prepared? That's all I'm asking. Continuing in verse 13, Paul says, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And I want to just pause there for a second to say, you know, Paul, what do you mean by the evil day, right? And uh, uh, so I did a little bit of research. One of the scholars I found said this, the evil day described the most intense moments of Satan's attacks and temptations. It was reference not to a particular time, listen, on the calendar of history, but to the intensity with which the devil attacks every person from time to time. Every person. Now, I think you'd be interested to know that that word for evil, paneros, it's an adjective that means full of labor, annoyances, hardships, being pressed or harassed. So, yeah, your mama told you there'd be days like this, but I just wonder, did she tell you there's something you can do about it in advance? Like, we don't have to just take it. There's something we can do. So how exactly does Paul propose we do that? He's going to lay out these pieces of the armor, of course, that are critical. Um, but before we get to that what, um, he's also going to tell us how. And it's a, just a little bit hidden in there. Take a look at that from verses 11 to 14. What words are repeated? Whenever you see in Scripture, repetition. Um, just kind of 
be attuned to that and take a look. How much does, what word is he repeating over and over and over? Against, 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 against. Six times he says the word against. Also in those same verses, what other word is repeated? Stand. And then he he does this great thing. He combines literally those two words into the same word and says, withstand. That's the one I want you to know uh, about that word, withstand. Uh, And it means to stand face to face against. That's what's required. So you and I have to stand up. We're going to have to gear up. And we're going to have to face up if we're going to win, right? So, beginning in verse 14, he's going to describe those parts of the armor. I I promise I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can. Each one of them is like um, a whole lesson, as they often say, which is very true. Um, But what I'm going to do is give you a principle, and then I'm going to give you a question of application. Because again, the principle is the truth. The question is going to How does that apply? How do I know how I can make that a reality in my life? Number one, belt of truth. So we fight with spiritual weapons, right? God made, God given means to use in accordance with his nature. Okay? If we're standing against the enemy, we have to stand with the truth. Okay? So if our methods involve deception, we're fighting on the wrong side. How do we discern truth? James tells us in verse five, 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And then we pray, like Paul in Ephesians 1 that we read earlier in 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of him having the eyes of our hearts flooded with light. And then we keep praying that. You know, you can ask God to make you smarter than you are. Did you know? Anybody? He so can. He so can, and he will. And he will let you know in advance when your enemy is coming so that you will be defended. So we ask him to. God, give me wisdom. Uh, do not be content with your current level of understanding. Um, In this age of distorted truth, we have to recognize any number of influences that attempt to twist truth, listen, not the least of which are our own perceptions, we'll twist that truth, I can't say it, Um, our own perceptions, our own past experiences, and our own prejudices. And perhaps the most powerful distortion occurs when we're afraid. Fear fixes our eyes and emotions and thoughts on what ifs instead of what is. If you, you're bound up in the what ifs, you know you need first to uh, combat that spirit of fear so that then you can fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and know what is and know what is. So the practical way of using the belt of truth, what is that, is to ask yourself, is there any part of this current battle, this current situation that I'm struggling where I'm believing a lie? Or am I being tempted to? That's how you can secure that belt of truth. 
going on to the breastplate of, of righteousness, this piece of armor uh, signifies the principle and practice of righteousness or living a holy life, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, God, uh, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might have the righteousness of God in Christ. It's a stunning thing. He gets our sin, and then he credits his righteousness to us. So when we put on his breastplate, we are wearing the righteousness of God. So we fight, listen, in a manner that is consistent with his nature inside of us. So again, belt of truth, breastplate. Once we have the truth, we live it. We live it. In First and Second Timothy, Paul reminds us to fight the good fight and that word he uses in a very appropriate description uh, for our lives because we can fight, and the way we fight can be both a testimony and the stand against evil. We've we got to fight good, and we do that by wearing his righteousness. So, so here's the question. Is the way I'm approaching or responding to this difficult situation, is it consistent with my identity in Christ? Am I believing a lie, and am I living in a consistent way with my identity in Christ? Third thing is those shoes of peace. Um, there's two key elements here uh, to this armor, readiness and peace. So what does it mean to have shoes that are fitted with readiness for the preparation of the gospel of peace? That's a lot of words. Like you can kind of get lost in all of that. And I want you to think back to the Israelites in Egypt. When they were commanded to eat the Passover before the Exodus, do you remember they were specifically instructed to eat it with their shoes on? Why? To show they were ready for the journey. And not only do we take the righteousness of God as protection, we take his peace with us. So the message of Paul is this, in the battle, we're to stand firm, grounded in the fact that we have the peace of God in our hearts. We know who we are in Christ. One of the worst things that we can do when we go into battle against the enemy is we're having fear in our hearts. And with the gospel, with the good news of what God in Christ has done for us, we're prepared for whatever comes. So we know who we are. And we're walking in peace. So here's the question. Am I walking in peace fully prepared to extend God's peace in every room, in every situation, in every relationship where I find myself today? Am I prepared to walk in peace? That's a good fight. It's a good fight. <clears throat> and then he says the shield of faith. Um, Many of you may know the, the Roman shield. I want to talk about that for a second. That's what his audience would be very familiar with. That Roman shield, uh, it was made of wood, but it was covered with leather and sometimes metal. Uh, there were two types of shields also. One was small and round, and that's what a, a shoulder wore on his arm for that hand-to-hand -hand combat. But the other kind was described as a door. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures uh, of that, right? So that the shield you need to know, the one he's t describing in Ephesians, it's the large door model. So it's going to cover most of the soldier's body. It was designed to be drenched with water, so it literally could extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. 
And of course, the added utility of these door side shields, when a line of soldiers, everyone has their shield, you, there's some protection there. That's how they were able to advance uh, with such power and with, with such speed. Uh, if, if you've got your shield up, they created that wall of defense. And so I want to ask if you feel like your faith is small, get with your community and link up and take steps to grow in your faith. Here's my question. Um, are you using your faith currently? How are you using it? Both for yourself and for others. It's meant to be used for others. We're meant to link up together for protection. Of course, the helmet of salvation, that protects the head, which is so profound. Um, it matters deeply where we choose to fix our thoughts. Our beliefs, your beliefs, will dictate your behavior. You can count on it. There's a reason that our thoughts are often referred to as the battlefield of the mind, and I just wonder, what do you do with the onslaught when it comes? You know, will you follow every thought, every idle notion, even when it's leading to destruction? Or do you, as he says, I don't have time to read this one in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, you take captive every thought and you make it obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this something I need to be thinking about right now? Is this thought even from you? You know, it's really something when um, someone says to me, I'm just, I, I, I'm being tempted to believe a lie. I'm like, I get that. Uh, do you know it's a lie? Well, yes, but I'm still tempted. It's, like, it's a lie. It's a lie. You take that captive. You make it obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. It matters where your thoughts are fixed. And here's kind of a, a, um, a way I can determine if I'm having a particular struggle in my thought life. Um, a, a, real, a, sure, a telltale sign is this. Um, what is your first thought in the morning? Like your very first thought. You turn off that alarm. Are you picking up the argument that you left off with? Whatever burden that is, whatever stress that is, is that the very first thing? And if it happens day, morning after morning, it's possible you got a stronghold going on. And you need to go battle with it. And we do that with the helmet of salvation. So we ask you, where are your thoughts currently fixed? And how is that aiding you or your enemy? Because it's going to be one or it's the other. <clears throat> then we come to the sword of the spirit. Now, there's just too much to say about this one, um, all of them. Really, of course, the sword is, as Paul describes, the word of God. Uh, you may have heard that this is referred to as the only offensive weapon. Uh, I, I beg to disagree. I think prayer is also an offensive weapon. Um, but yes, the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and that word, um, word, um, it's not the normal one that you've heard, we've heard before, logos, which is the word for word. It's also the word used for Christ in John's uh, gospel as well. When he says, which is the word of God here in this context, it's rhema. That word rhema, it means a specific word. 
Um, it's so important. Uh, when you are reading, uh, and when, if you're, really, you're going to do battle, I'm just going to if you just really want victory, what you need is a very specific word. Um, it is one thing to say, I believe in everything in this book, and I stand on everything in this book. But when your enemy comes to you with a very specific lie, it's not going to work as, as effectively as if you say, yeah, but I believe everything in this book, as opposed to you saying, oh no, I believe I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I believe that every yes and amen is in Christ. I do believe that he who began a good work in me, he will be faithful to complete it. You see what I'm saying? And you put yourself in that word. You strap it on. You find the scripture that applies to that. And no, we're not going to um, uh, twist it in any way. We're not going to distort it. We're not going to take it out of context. But we are going to use it. And we are going to write it on our hearts. And he is going to absolutely um, perform a miracle in our hearts in reforming it according to his image. And that's how he takes us from one level of glory to the other. So that's how we get freedom. Um, so what word, there's our question, what word, what promise, what truth are you carrying into the battle today? If, you, if it's empty, you need to get a word. You need to get a word. And then finally, prayer. Uh, Paul ends the list with this command, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Um, prayer is not a piece of spiritual armor against the enemy. Listen, Prayer is what we do once we are clothed in the armor. We pray. We pray. And when we pray, God responds. Going back to Psalm 18, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Verse 17, he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. That's what your God will do for you. So my last question is this, where is my intimacy, where is your intimacy with God right now? In prayer. And perhaps the follow-up would be, where do you want it to be? Where do you want it to be? Let's pray.